What's happening, everybody? Welcome into another episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. Make sure to go to SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand and subscribe to the show by going on to Apple Podcasts and searching The Hangout in the Holy Land. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host coming to you from Boulder, Colorado on the night of November 4th, 2017, the night that Iowa just absolutely demolished Ohio State 55 to 24. We got a lot to talk about on tonight's episode. And to do that, I am joined by my buddy and my co-host, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, I'm going to put the explicit tag on this podcast. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, kind of, kind of rough day for, um, for the, for the local team. Not, not exactly what I was expecting going in. I'm sure that this was not exactly what you were expecting, but I think you did sum it up best. What the fuck? <laughs> That's really the only way to put it. And like the the way that this game went, like for our listeners, I usually take maybe like a page, a couple pages of notes for the game, just short stuff, jot stuff down, just stuff to remember for the podcast so we can talk about it. Some major points to hit on. My one today went two lines and it said, pick six slash great response by offense and the line below that just said weber returning kicks question mark <laughs> and after that i was just like you know what i'm done with this i can see that it's gonna be this type of day and sure enough man from not the opening kick like last week but the opening play where ohio state and jt barrett threw the uh the pick six you could just kind of tell that maybe not that it was going to be a blowout win for iowa but you, but you could tell that this was going to be a dogfight game. This was your cliche Big Ten road game against, I guess, you know, all of a sudden a world-beating Iowa team on the road. And, you know, we're going to talk about Ohio State here because it is an Ohio State podcast, but I don't want this to sound like sour grapes. Iowa beat the hell out of Ohio State in every phase of the game. And 55 to 25, probably should have, or 24, it probably should have been a little bit worse. That's how good Iowa played today. Yeah, and speaking of taking notes on games, that's something I usually do too, and it's kind of um, kind of like a sad irony. I take notes on a um, an Iowa football notepad that they send all uh, football <laughs> writers of America uh, members. They, they send a free one out every year, like a notepad. So... It was pretty fun to write about um, my favorite team getting crushed by Iowa in an Iowa notepad. But yeah, Iowa was just, I mean, this was not Ohio State, you know, having a complete fluke loss and making a bunch of mistakes. Obviously, they did make a bunch of mistakes and they played terribly, but Iowa was just the better team. Iowa was dominant up front on both sides of the ball. They were significantly better than Ohio State for four quarters. Well, and something that we talked about last week when Ohio State got down in the game, and you and I both referenced this, is that we felt like Ohio State always had a chance to win against Penn State, and they were down 30, or 31 to, to 17 today, and it was a much different feeling, and, and Steve Levy and Brian Greasy brought it, this up on the broadcast, and by the way, that, that's an awful announced team right there. Yeah. I saw people on Twitter like <laughs> giving them hell all day. They were not good, but they kept bringing up, well, Iowa needs to keep their foot on the gas because we saw what happened last week, and at least from my perspective, when it got to 31-17, to I didn't completely give up hope, but it certainly didn't feel like the Penn State game, and not just because Ohio State wasn't playing at home. Iowa dominated, like we said, every facet of the game, and it just felt like 
you know, th- there wasn't like there was last week where the defensive line could come and save the day or JT Barrett and the receivers could make plays. It felt like, you know, the defense has given up points. The offense wasn't generating anything after the first half. It just kind of felt hopeless. And that's something that we haven't felt, I think, in a long time for Ohio State football because they played the Oklahoma game close even though they lost by double digits. The Clemson game, even though they got dominated, the defense at least kept them in that in that game until the point where they just couldn't withstand anymore and the levy kind of burst. And we really haven't seen a game like this since the 2007 National Championship, unless I'm missing one, maybe that USC game in, in 2008. But as far as conference games go, like I can't remember a game where Ohio State got beat this bad. Yeah, and I think um, you, you touched on like when it kind of felt when it started to feel hopeless, I think that the exact moment for me when I was like, no, this is not happening was uh, late in the first half. It was 24, 17. Iowa had the ball. It was about a minute left. Uh, they were driving. I think it was a third down through a swing pass to one of their many running backs. And Damon Arnett just took probably the worst pursuit angle I've ever seen. Um, there, he was rough today. Yeah. Not, not a great day for Damon Arnett, but um, I think it was Akram Wadley who had, he caught the ball right near the sidelines and Damon Arnett just completely whiffed. Uh, Wadley got down inside the five Iowa scored right before the half. And it was just like, I mean, when you give up 31 points and a half, you don't deserve to win. And Ohio state did not deserve to win. And it was odd that the offense kind of just hit the wall in the second half because we saw in the first half, even though they had 17 points, they had, what, 250 total yards almost. They, they were moving the ball. The pick six was kind of the play that de- defined the game in the first half. And without that, it, it would have felt a, a lot more comfortable because they moved the ball. But defensively, man, they, they just had no answers for whatever Iowa was doing. Iowa's tight end scored, what, five touchdowns on the day in – I, I think that this game uh, kind of I, – I don't know if exposed is the right word because I think people overuse that term. But for lack of a better phrase, I'll, I'll just go with that because last week Ohio State's defensive line took control of the game. And this week, especially after Nick Bosa went off on that targeting call, you saw some of the flaws and still, I guess, the inexperience of the back seven of this defense – when the defensive line can't make every single play because the the defensive line was getting stonewalled. They weren't even getting pressure. And the linebackers and secondary really had a rough game. And I mentioned on Twitter, we've talked about Jerome Baker a little bit. Like I, I'm missing 2016 Jerome Baker and the linebackers because they are, they're nowhere to be found right now. Yeah, the linebackers I think are probably the biggest issue for, for this defense, especially – uh, when when Ohio State plays against a pro-style team or a team that knows how to use the tight end. Um, we saw it against Oklahoma with, it wasn't even Mark Andrews, it was the backup tight end, it was the fullback, Dimitri Flowers. They just, they're able to, teams are able to really pick on Ohio State in the middle, intermediate, uh, because of both the scheme that Ohio State plays with that nickel where they bring two linebackers up and either have them, they don't usually have them blitz, but they either have them drop into a short zone or man. Um, but... Ohio State really doesn't have the, I don't think, linebacker capabilities to do that system, and it, that we haven't seen an adjustment, and it really hasn't hurt Ohio State until the Oklahoma game, and then up until now. But against teams like this, it just it won't work with linebackers like Jerome Baker and Chris Worley and Malik Harris and Dante Booker. They don't have the the coverage skills to to stop tight ends and 
it just it, it seems like it seems like an adjustment is long overdue when Ohio State plays teams like this, and it's I, I, I don't know why that adjustment has not come defensively. Chris Worley was another guy, too. I don't, I don't know if it's the injury coming off of that foot or, or leg injury that kept him out a couple of weeks ago. We saw him play, I think, pretty effectively last yeah, week against yeah, Penn State. Yeah, he had a great game against Penn State. For whatever reason, uh, just kind of like Arnett and Baker, over-pursuing, not taking the right angles – you know, getting juked out by guys, just really rough. The the play action game killed Ohio State's linebackers and I guess their quote unquote eye discipline in that area of the game too. And even a guy like Jordan Fuller, who we talked about and I wrote about this week, who has been pretty awesome for that uh, secondary, we saw that at least as of right now, covering and, and playing in space and making plays on the ball, that's not necessarily his strength, and he got worked a couple of times in coverage and even in the uh, in the run game too. And it, just all around, I don't really know, other than maybe a guy like Denzel Ward, who I don't think had any pass breakups but was covering close on a couple of incompletions. It's hard to say that really anybody on the defense played well, even if the defensive – I think the defensive line – they battled. They they certainly didn't play the way they did last week, but um, it, it was disappointing on all three levels of the defense. Yeah, I would I would agree with um, saying that outside of Denzel Ward, I don't think anyone on the defense had a very good game. Um, one of the things that you kind of talked about was the defensive line not really getting any pressure. I think that this was the worst defensive line performance we've seen in a very long time. I mean, they were they were really really bad. There were a couple of quarterback hurries. Um, it lists three on the stat broadcast, two of which came from Draymond Jones, who will be in the NFL next year because um, he's he's good. He didn't have a great game, but he's legitimately good. But Nick Bosa obviously had the just, I mean, just so, so stupid targeting penalty. Um, so he was ejected from the game. Chris Worley had a really dumb penalty as well where it was like obviously going to be grounding that Iowa threw it out of bounds and he hit a receiver anyway for no real reason. Um I don't know if it's just – I don't know if most of the defensive problems are a lack of discipline, if they're a lack of – I mean, it shouldn't be a lack of talent. With how well this team recruits, it shouldn't be a lack of talent that's holding back this defense. If it's a schematic issue, I don't I don't know if it's just a combination of all of those things, but it feels like – it feels like there are games where they just don't play anywhere near what they should be playing at, and it's – Maybe even if it's being, you know, done with penalties, which we've seen in specific games before we've seen lots of dumb penalties. I think it was the Maryland game that had plenty of dumb penalties. We've seen undisciplined play against Oklahoma in this game. We've seen schematic errors against Oklahoma in this game. It's just it felt like the culmination of all three. And that's why this game was as lopsided as it was. I want to look this up real quick. So while I'm doing that, I'll, I'll ask you something here I saw a little bit on Twitter people talking about the coaching and we're going to talk in depth about the offense and some of the uh some of the coaching there some of the strategies and what we thought about how Urban Meyer managed the game but Greg Schiano took a lot of heat today what what did you think about just their game plan in general and the way that they adjusted or I guess the lack of adjustments coming out in the second half because they forced Iowa to punt on that first drive, uh, the third quarter, and then after that, it was just kind of back to where it was in the first half, where they were just moving the ball at will. Yeah, they they forced um, they forced Iowa punts on the first two sessions, I think, of the second half. The second drive went six plays, forty three yards, but it did end in a punt. But really, it just the first half was exactly like the second half, and 
it didn't feel like there were any adjustments. They they came out, and it's I think that the the punts were a result of just they had they had gotten some energy. They were they were a little bit more hyped up. They were flying to the ball, um, but schematically they were still just. I mean, completely unprepared for for what Iowa does. It felt like they had a game plan for a team like Penn State or a spread offense, and they they tried to deploy that game plan against an Iowa team that's just not that. They didn't they didn't really do anything to try and stop Akram Wadley from running right up the middle. Um, they didn't key on the tight ends at all. In fact, they frequently just left them open. Um, it really it just it felt like they weren't ready for this game, and that's I don't. I don't know why that would be because that's, I mean, that doesn't seem like it should be a problem with a team that has as many talented coaches, as many talented players as this, as this team and as this program does. It's just, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to think that they didn't see Iowa play before because this is exactly what Iowa does. And uh, like we saw, we saw a couple of times on the goal line specifically that stand out to me where Iowa had two or three goal line touchdowns where the tight end was just open. Like there was nobody covering the tight ends. They blitzed pretty much everybody. Tight end was just standing in the end zone. It was an easy touchdown pass. And I mean, all credit to all credit to Nate Stanley. He had a really good game, but he's not, I mean, he's not Baker Mayfield. He's not, He's not a top 25 quarterback. He's a solid game manager. He can make some throws. They made every throw easy for him because they didn't cover any receivers or tight ends. And that, that's a That son of a issue. bitch was looking like Joe Montana yeah. out there today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just like, it wasn't even like, he wasn't even throwing the ball deep. He didn't need to. He could just throw it seven yards and they turned it into 20 because no one was anywhere near the tight ends. No one was anywhere near, you know, TJ Hawkins and Noah Fant. Just... It was, it, it was a schematic mistakes. It was just bad, just bad game planning, bad all around. Be it Shiano's fault, the players' fault, execution. I don't, I don't know the details of of what happened here, but I think there should be blame both on players and on the coaching staff. So Iowa has not. Uh, how do I want to phrase this? Uh, Iowa averaged six point nine yards per play today, and that is their highest since averaging over seven against Purdue last year. 6.9 yards per play. Not nice for the Ohio State defense. And before we get to the offense, I guess we might as well just stick on the uh, on the coaching theme because after the game, only a couple of players spoke. Urban Meyer spoke. I guess he kept his comments pretty short. There's only so much we can glean from this because it's only a couple hours after the game. Um, but... It sounded like from what everybody said is that Ohio State had a great week of practice. They felt like this was not something that was going to happen. And something that I found odd was that all week, and especially right after the Penn State game, you heard a lot of Urban Meyer talk about the culture at Ohio State, and they were able to come back because of the culture. And we've heard a lot about the brotherhood. And, you know, your usual football cliche stuff that you hear in college football. And it's one thing to lose on the road at Kinnick. I think no matter what the result or what, what the score would have been, if Ohio State lost this game, we would have been upset. But at the end of the day, if they lost close, we would have said, you know what? It's a Big Ten road game in November in Iowa City in a charged-up environment. Iowa's not horrible. They're not great, but they're not terrible. But at least on paper, you could see why this could be a letdown game. But 
the fact that they lost the way they did, I, I think if you want to talk about the culture last week, then this week, it, it, I don't think it's an overreaction to say it's a little bit of an indictment, at least on the culture of this year's team, because th- that's just something that shouldn't happen to a team this talented and with a coaching staff this talented as well. Yeah, just let down games. I, I get it. Let down games happen. Look ahead games happen. There are there are situations where something like Ohio State, you know, having a, a really college football. Happens. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, these are 18 and 20 yeah. like, year olds. There are there are teens that see significant playing time on Ohio State's team. It happens. I get it. But and, you know, after an emotional win, a win that took obviously a lot of energy, a lot of um, just took a lot of doing. I, I get that it would be a letdown, but I don't think that there would be a 31 point letdown. I don't, I don't <laughs> think that there would be 55 points allowed to a bad offense let down. Like this is not a good Iowa offense. This is an Iowa offense that struggled to score against Minnesota and against most of the bad big 10 West. Like this is, you know, all credit to all credit to Iowa. And they did a great job of taking advantage of what Ohio state gave them, which was whatever they wanted. Uh, but like with a team that recruits at as high of a level as Ohio state does, there's no excuse for this. I mean, this is, this is the worst performance. This is the worst loss of the urban Meyer era in Ohio state. And it feels like we're saying that more and more, um, you know, in the last couple of years. Yeah. And that's definitely something I think to, to keep an eye on. And as we go further in the season, we'll talk about this later on in the podcast when we wrap up about some of our thoughts about the team going forward. That's definitely something to, to look into now that the fact that you would you would assume that the uh, the chance of going to a third college football playoff in four years is off the table. So we, we really will, I think, get to see what the true culture of, of this year's team is now that, you know, they, they have that kind of carrot taken away from them. But um, moving into the offense – it's kind of hard to know where to start with this one because they did start the game so well. We saw JT Barrett put a couple passes on the money, the touchdown to Terry McLaurin, the touchdown to Johnny Dixon, the 44-yarder, and it, it, it seemed like everything was clicking. J.K. Dobbins broke off a big 35-yard run on a drive that they kicked a field goal. Barrett was running the ball well to start the game, but um, for whatever reason, things just kind of shut down. Yeah, um, I, I just quick quickly to get this out of the way. Ohio State needs to give J.K. Dobbins the ball so much more than they currently do. Dude, six carries. He's one of the best running backs in the country, and six carries, fifty-one yards. He's there's not there's not a running back in the Big Ten outside of Saquon Barkley who can do anything that J.K. Dobbins can do, and Ohio State does not give him the ball. And I don't know if that's a Kevin Wilson problem. I don't know if that's an Urban Meyer problem. They need to figure it out because it is unfair. It's unfair to him. It's unfair to the rest of the offense. It's unfair to JT Barrett to to force JT Barrett to try and win the game. You're running 14 times, running direct quarterback runs where there's no even there's no option to hand it off, making him play unlike the quarterback that he is which is he's not an air raid quarterback he's not a downfield throwing quarterback where he can win the game exclusively with that he can do it if necessary he can do it but you see you see him throw four interceptions it's not that is not a result of him suddenly forgetting how to throw that's a result of him knowing that he's the only option 
and forcing throws to try and make plays because he knows that that's all they have. And that'll happen when you don't ever run the ball with your running back. Iowa knew that we weren't going to run with J.K. Dobbins. When Mike Weber was in the game, they knew we probably weren't going to run with him. It's just there's there's no reason for that. Yeah, and this is the thing we talk about, you know, popping up, talking about losses more under Urban Meyer. And this is definitely something when you talk about any loss in this era, it always seems to come back at least offensively to the running backs and not getting the running backs the ball. And, you know, on the topic of Dobbins and where he sits in in the running back pecking order, you and I have both said on this podcast that we like Mike Weber. Mike Weber is a good running back. He won Big Ten Freshman of the of the year last year. Yeah, I wrote a whole I wrote a whole article in the offseason about how good Mike Weber is. J.K. Dobbins is better. Like yeah. Yes, for for whatever reason, not only is J.K. Dobbins better, but Mike Weber just doesn't look like himself. Whether it's the lingering hamstring issue, he's had a couple other nagging injuries that I think have slowed him down a little bit. But for whatever reason, he just does not even look as explosive as he was last year. And he wasn't even really that explosive last year at all. And so he just he doesn't look right. And for him to – it's not even the carries, but I think just the snaps overall that he gets over Dobbins. And we're going to talk about him being the kick returner with Perry Campbell out here, here in a second of what we thought about that. But um, that's just another one of those things where – if the coaches want to say that it's a trust issue, I can't even really buy that because I, I think that Dobbins still hasn't fumbled. If he did, it was a long time ago, and we've seen Weber fumble a couple of times, so it, it, it can't be that. It, it can just only really be a seniority issue because I don't think you can trust him more, and I don't think he's playing better, and I don't think he gives the offense as high of a ceiling. So it's it's just really, I think, questionable and doesn't make any sense that Dobbins isn't the workhorse of this offense. And I don't think he's had 15 carries in a game since having, what, 27 or 29 against Indiana to kick off his career. And you would think that in a spot like this where everything's not going your way, JT Barrett's throwing into some tight windows, Iowa's corners are making plays, that at least in the second half to lead it off, you know, you want to calm down the offense a little bit and give it to the running back and let him do his thing and – you know, I feel like we. it's hard to say that it's a Kevin Wilson problem because this has been a thing dating back to Tom Herman. And, you know, you and I aren't going to bash Urban Meyer on this podcast. He's the second best coach in the country and one of the greatest college football coaches of the modern era and of all time. But this is a thing, and it all comes back to him when these running backs don't get the ball. And after the game, somebody asks him, hey, why didn't Ezekiel Elliott or Carlos Hyde or now J.K. Dobbins get the ball? And he says, well, I, I don't know. That's that's on him. And frankly, at this point, it, it kind of sucks that we're still having this conversation because Ohio State wouldn't have won the game if they give, gave the ball to J.K. Dobbins 25 times. But, like, man, you would just, you're not helping yourself. You're, you're not doing yourself any favors by giving him the ball only six times. Yeah, and I've seen um... – I've seen some some people, this is not a recent thing, but when Ohio State misses, as they have before, on a on a top-level five-star running back, um, you know, like, there there have been cases where Ohio State has been in on, like, the top running back in the country, recruiting-wise, and he's gone somewhere else, and they've been like, why can't we land, you know, five-star number one running back? It's because we don't run. Cam Akers wants the fucking ball. Yeah, like, Cam Akers wants the <laughs> ball. Like, <laughs> it's just... Like I, 
it's inexcusable to have this much talent on the offensive line and at running back and to not run the ball. Like when when your offensive line is is injured, which the offensive line was injured today, Jamarco Jones and Demetrius Knox were not at full strength. Um, the, even when they came back into the game, they had suffered injuries earlier in the game. It's pretty easy to assume that they weren't at full strength. It's you run the ball. You, I mean. JT Barrett is not good under pressure. We know that. We know that he's not good when there's a heavy blitz. Iowa was coming with a blitz because of the weakened offensive line. You have to take advantage of that. You have to take advantage of where Iowa's weakness is, which is on the edge against the run. We saw that when they played Penn State. We've seen that all year. It It's pretty obvious in film of Iowa. I just... When you have one of the best outside runners in the country, I don't know why you wouldn't use him against the team that can't stop the outside run. Shifting to the passing game, you know, you and I are straight up about how we feel about JT Barrett. We're the we're the two chief members of the JT Barrett fan club when it comes to audio podcasts about Ohio State. But I feel like we can both comfortably say, like, he sucked today. He had a bad game. He had a really bad game in something that you brought up early on that that I thought was intriguing, and I noticed early in the game. It was that red zone trip, I think, where they kicked the field goal. And maybe it was the play before he hit Benjamin Victor in the back of the end zone that was a tough play, but Victor probably should have caught where he threw into traffic. And there was like three Iowa dudes there. And that isn't a pass that you see JT, JT Barrett make very often, whether he was playing good or not. And I don't know if it was a case of after some of those tight window throws last week that he was just kind of feeling himself and he felt like he could make that throw, but... Maybe to your point, he looked like he felt like, okay, I'm going to have to do everything. I'm going to have to make these throws or else we're not going to win because we can't get any stops. And that's not excusing his play because it wasn't good. And we saw on the interception before halftime, that's just a play that Barrett doesn't make. And he recklessly threw that ball in there. And, you know, he's he's lumped in with everybody else of having a really bad game regardless of, of how well he started because – he just he made some really bad throws. Yeah, he I mean, this was obviously not a good game from JT Barrett. You you said it. I I agree. Four interceptions is not a good game even if two of them did come later in the game when it was already. Yeah, the the yeah. last two I think are just yeah. like irrelevant. They were already going to lose and getting their asses whooped. Yeah, I didn't even I was like the last one I had like on the second screen because it was like a 40 point game. It, was, <laughs> it it is what it is. But like there were some throws that would have been touchdowns if he made them. There was one, I I think the receiver was Terry McLaurin. This was early in the second half. Um, would have cut it to a one-score game. Had him wide open on a deep ball and just underthrew him. And we've seen it before. Um, we've seen him make the throw too, though. He's got he's got to make that throw. I I think that it's unfair to place all the blame on him. And that's absolutely, that's not what we're doing. He's, he was not the only one at fault. He was not the the biggest one at fault. He was certainly part of why Ohio state lost. And he was part of why the offense struggled, but this is, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a team issue than a JT Barrett issue. And a couple missed throws will happen in every single game. For the most part, his throws that he that he completed that weren't intercepted, that were to the correct receiver, were where they needed to be. It was just he played like he knew that he was the only option for the offense. And closing it up for the offense, I guess the only player we're going to say, player of the game, Johnny Dixon, four catches, 81 yards, two touchdowns. He had the 44-yard touchdown early in the uh, – in the first half and you know if we're going to keep it somewhat positive here it's just great to see him 
st- out out there on the field making plays after four years of not being able to be on the field and to be injured for him to we're eight games into the season or nine games into the season. And for him to still be healthy, like that's, that's the bright spot of this game. I think I'm glad to see Johnny Dixon out there making plays, even in a game where Ohio state got their ass kicked. So Johnny Dixon, he is our, uh, the hangout in the Holy land offensive player of the game for Ohio state. Yeah. Nothing, nothing but love for, for Johnny Dixon. He's a great guy. He's a really hardworking, hardworking young man worked so hard to get to where he is um, rehabbing that leg and spent, you know, four years trying to overcome an injury that he sustained in high school. And he, he's a great talent. Really is so good to see him get on the field, get, get to prove what he can do. Um, I said it in the Slack chat and even after this loss and while he doesn't put up huge volume in terms of receptions, he's going to make a, a vertically challenged NFL team very happy. He's, He's the best deep ball threat. He's the best deep play, big play threat that Ohio State has had since, you know, Devin Smith, at wide receiver. He's he's explosive. He's just he's a helpful guy to have. I wish they would get him the ball more. All right. So special teams wise, much better than (laughs) last week. That was basically the only positive, I think, to take away from uh, the game. Drew Chrisman had a 51 yard punt. He had a couple that were kind of ugly, but he put two inside the uh inside the 20 so sean nuremberger hit his field goal but like he barely hit that field goal yeah and i i think that it may have been that play where even though he made that field goal it was like man this is it's one of these games like where this guy's kicking a 27 yarder and this is happening like okay here we go uh kj hill had only one punt return for negative three yards and kick return let's 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 Um. talk about kick return patrick (laughs) Um, so Paris Campbell was out after the injury he sustained against Penn State last week. And I, I said this on Twitter. If you want to follow me, you can, at Dubsco. I, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it. But if you want to do so, you can You can follow me at Dubsco. In a team that's recruited as well as Ohio State has, with former blue chip running backs, receivers, and defensive backs all over the field and guys that haven't played, guys that are great athletes, The best that you can come up with as a backup kick returner in a game that you need to win on the road in conference play with the fucking playoffs on the line and in the balance, you go to Mike Weber as your kick returner? What's up with that, man? I can't can't even fathom how they came to that conclusion. Yeah, I'm looking right now at the Ohio State 2017 uh, football roster on 24-7 sports to to look at, you know, who's the five-star skill players on this team. Um, Jeffrey Okuda, five-star cornerback. Sean Wade, five-star cornerback. Uh, Damon Webb, high four-star safety. Uh, Hey, how about about J.K. Dobbins? Four-star running back to Mario McCall. Four-star running back, the list goes on. Mike Weber is not one of the faster ones of those guys. Mike Weber is not the guy who you want returning kickoffs. That's like when they put Ezekiel Elliott at punt returner a couple years ago. Why? Why? That makes no sense. Like, <laughs> let's put the really big dude there. Let's let's put the 220-plus pound running back back to return kicks and just see what will happen. Oh, he didn't he didn't build up enough speed in time? Well... I wonder why. It's just, it's mind-boggling, really. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that had Dontre Wilson and didn't use him right. Like, <laughs> I don't I don't know how, 
I don't know how we've gone so long without having a, a really competent punt or kick return situation. Obviously, Paris Campbell's very good at it, and it's, you know, we hope to have him back soon and have him healthy. I think he has a, a head injury, and that's never good. But Mike Weber is not the not the second best kick returner on this team. There's no way. Johnny Dixon, Terry McLaurin, there's so many fast players who can almost certainly punt your catch kickoffs white. I mean, KJ Hill can catch punts. Put him back there. Like, it just, I don't, it, it makes no sense why you'd put Mike Weber back there. He's not the, he's not the explosive guy you want returning kicks, and that's obvious to literally everyone. Yeah, and at the very least, Ohio State held uh, Ivory Kelly Martin, Iowa's kick returner, to a long of 20. They only gave up 44 kick return yards today. That's probably the yeah, the biggest out, the biggest positive. Shout out Blake Fabio for kicking it into the end zone. <laughs> Yeah, and and when they when they didn't, they made some pretty nice stops inside the uh, the twenty yard line. They put Austin Mack and I think Dante Booker was out there as well on the kick return unit. So we can get former four and five stars on the kick coverage unit, but <laughs> we can't get them returning the ball, which which is kind of weird. Is there anything else from this game that you feel like we need to hit on? I'm sure that we missed a couple things. We're we're talking about this. Only a couple hours after the game, we wanted to get this episode uh, out as quick as possible. So I'm sure we're missing some stuff. But uh, you have anything else? Ohio State had one trip to the red zone. That's not gonna. That's not gonna do it. <laughs> Especially for a team that isn't that isn't very explosive. That's predicated on uh, moving the ball in seven, eight yard chunks, four or five yards on the ground here and there. You burst you burst a thirty five yard run like J.K. Dobbins did early in the game. But when you're moving the ball, you know, a lot of your success is gonna be, hey, let's get into the red zone and let's let's make points. So it definitely goes to show that they only had one trip inside the red zone today. Yeah, and you you mentioned chunk plays. Ohio State had seven total, um, which would be passing plays of fifteen yards plus, rushing plays of ten yards plus. They had four uh, passing plays, 29, 29, 44, 22, and three rushing, uh, 35, 18, and 10. Iowa, on the other hand, not an offense exactly known for their explosive nature. Um, seven passing chunk plays, five rushing chunk plays. Brian Ferentz had the ghost of Bill Walsh inside him today. Yeah, I mean, they called a dang fake kick. <laughs> and Urban Nyer called, you know, a, for a, a knee before the half. I don't know if they, like, switched coaching staffs or something, but Iowa was good and Ohio State was not good. And if you look at the rosters, that doesn't make sense. That's I just, yeah, good, good job by Iowa really bad job by Ohio State it's that's what it boils down to Ohio State had an awful game Iowa had a good game the Buckeyes got punched in the mouth I know that you were doing some other work when this game kind of got out of reach in the fourth quarter I was hardly watching it even though I was running the site Twitter account (laughs) but um Iowa I think it was when they were up 31 decided to run a fake punt and Almost got it, and I, I didn't see the, the Twitter reaction to that, but uh, what did you think about Iowa calling a fake punt there in that situation? Um, I saw some people were kind of upset about it, and they were like, why is Iowa running up the score? It's like, well, because they're, they're allowed. I mean, we got we got crushed, whatever. Because we're Ohio State. Everybody yeah, that's hates what, us. that's what you do. We've, <laughs> I'm sure that we, we have done a similar thing to Iowa. Like, it, there, the one doesn't stand out in my mind, but I get it. That's fine. Like, when you have the chance to run up the score on Ohio State, you do it. Like that's 
pretty much every team in the country that is in Alabama, you, you, you run up the score on Ohio State when you get the chance to beat Ohio State. So, like, yeah, it's, it's fine. I'm sure people will be mad about it just like they were about the Baker Mayfield flag plant. This is a hypothetical, this is a, a symbolic flag plant, Iowa going for it with a fake punt in the fourth quarter up by 30 points. It's fine. Yeah, I'm team run it up as well, so I, I didn't really have any issue with it. Before we get out of here, um, what makes this day even weirder, and I don't know if it's worse or better, depending on your point of view. It's, I mean, it's, it's definitely better, but Michigan State beat Penn State, which kind of all but assures, I think, the fact that Penn State isn't going to be able to catch up to Ohio State now that they have two conference losses and Ohio State plays Michigan State next week at home. Basically, I, I would say for the Big Ten East, with that on the line, Michigan, as we're recording this, is up 20-7 to on Minnesota in the second quarter. I don't foresee Minnesota being able to come back for that. I'm sure I'll look like an idiot tomorrow as I say this. But um, <laughs> kind of yeah, next week is kind of a de facto Big Ten East title game. And so how are you feeling about that early, early reads? Because... Iowa was able to make adjustments on defense in the second half and shut down Ohio State, and we weren't worried about their offense, but they put up 55 points, or I guess 48 if you take away the pick six, and Michigan State probably has an even better defense. Yeah, um, I only like I think that there's only one thing that I know will happen in that game, um, and I know 100% that this will happen in that game. It will be a, like a snowstorm. Like, there will be, like... <laughs> When Michigan State is involved in a game in a season where chaos has taken over, Mark D'Antonio is the only person who can survive, and his team is the only team that can survive chaos and enact chaos and use it for their own good every single week. He will he will conjure up a snowstorm in Columbus, and JT Barrett's hands will fall off or something. Like it, it's just it'll be dumb. I don't think Ohio State will win that game by very many points if they do win. Like it'll it'll be dumb. It'll be low scoring. It'll be an Ohio State Michigan State game. Yeah, I completely agree with you and I, I'll say right now I the way that they played today and maybe it's an overreaction. I don't think that they will win that game against a defense that's that good and with a coaching staff that seems stubborn enough to just stick with what they want to do and not really make any adjustments and you know I, I hope that we get a big ass snowstorm in, in like 60 mile an hour winds something where the football gods are just looking down at Urban Meyer and Kevin Wilson and just being like you have the best running back in the country outside of Saquon Barkley. Run the ball. Give him <laughs> the ball so that one's definitely going to be a uh another I, th I think game where it's kind of anxiety and gives you a lot of stress and we'll see but basically for the Big Ten East title next week so yeah looking looking forward to that one should should be great Ohio State hasn't beaten Michigan State at home since like what 2007 2008 it's been a long time oh man that's I I like that is not a stat I had heard. I'm sure it's true, but yikes, that's not good. <laughs> like home team overall in the Ohio State-Michigan State game hasn't won, I think, for close to a decade now because Ohio State beat them last year on the road. They, of course, lost at home somehow in 2015. Uh, they beat them in 2014. They didn't play in 2013 in the regular season. Oh, yeah, that was the leaders and legends thing. And they beat Michigan State in 2012 in that close game. 2011, Michigan State beat them in Columbus. 
that's as far back as I can remember. I don't know if they played in 2008 and 2009. So I think 2007 was the last time that a home team won a game in that series, which like, yeah, that's exactly what you want to hear heading into next week's game with basically everything on the line. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that I'm going to look back at this and, you know, call myself an idiot. Am, am I unreasonable for thinking Ohio state is more likely to finish eight and four than they are 10 and two? No, because they're already at two losses right now. And they have, you know, regardless of what you think about Michigan State's offense in the last two weeks, Brian Lewerke, I think, has thrown for like 500 yards or like 450. So like Michigan State, they're starting to turn the corner on offense. They're not going to lose to Illinois. But, you know, for as much fun as we were making at Michigan up to the you know last week or a couple of weeks ago, it's definitely not a stretch to say that a listless Ohio State team could go into Michigan Stadium and get rolled, not just lose, but like get rolled for a game that even if Michigan has three or four losses, like they haven't beaten Ohio State yet under Jim Harbaugh. They're definitely going to have something to play for in that game pride-wise. So, you know, it's not good that Ohio State already has two losses, but I think in a certain sense, it's, like we said, going to show where the culture of the program is right now because – it's the first time that they've been out of the playoff race this early. Like they're, they're done. It, there was, yeah. there would have to yeah, be something done. really, 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 really crazy to happen for them to even sniff their way back into this. And this is the first time since, you know, and the bowl ban is what it is, but since that 2013 season, the last week of the season, they've always had a chance to either go to the big 10 title game or make the playoff or make the BCS title game in, in 2013. But this year, no. So, you know, when that carrot isn't in front of them, we'll see what they do because it's easy to keep saying, okay, we still have Indianapolis or we still have the college football playoff out ahead of us. They don't have the college football playoff ahead of them this year. So let, let's see if winning the Big Ten is really as important as they say it is in their number one goal to start uh, to start each season. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point. And I think that, you know, with the, with the culture of the program, we will, we will really get to see exactly how how Ohio State has trained these these top athletes if they've trained them to you know to to fight even when there's not a national championship on the line if they've you know if these if they've coached these guys up into an actual team instead of just a collection of talent and today they looked like a collection of talent against Penn State they looked like an actual team Uh, I think like I feel like if they lose to Michigan State, they'll just give up on the season, and that's when they go eight and four, and that's when they lose to Michigan. Um, so, obviously, hopefully that doesn't happen. <laughs> this is where we're at. Yeah, ho- hopefully, hopefully Ohio State doesn't give up is where we're at. <laughs> okay, so I'm looking at Winsipedia. Yeah, the last home win in this series was 2007. Ohio State beat Michigan State 24 to 17. They beat them on the road in 08 and. And then uh, 09, 10, uh, they did not play. So, yeah, 2007, last time Ohio State not only won at home versus Michigan State, but a home team, period, won in this series. Ohio State is going to have to do a lot of good things and bounce back to uh, to break that streak next uh, next week. To, to wrap this up here, I, I think is what you talked about with the 8-4 and four thing is a successful season for them because I, I thought they were going to play for the national championship, and I yeah, thought they had I a good too. shot at winning. Yep. 
is a successful season for them still on the table if they run the table and win the Big Ten and, and go to a New Year's Six Bowl? And regardless of, of what they do there, whether they play UCF or some other Power Five team, do you think winning the Big Ten at this point is a successful season for them? They haven't won the Big Ten since the 2014 season. Uh, I think if they win the Big Ten, if they play be it UCF or maybe they get a rematch against Oklahoma or they get to play, you know, a, another two-loss really solid power five team i think that it would still be a success i think 11 and 2 with a big ter i guess it would be 12 and 2 with a big 10 championship game a win over you know a really good team in a in a major bowl game i think that that would still be a success just for my expectations i i know that there would be people who are not happy with that and there would be people who are for some reason calling for urban meyer to be fired guys stop doing that come on <laughs> uh but I mean, when you recruit as well as Ohio State does and when you're the only other school in the country that is even close to Alabama in terms of talent, this is, you know, this is absolutely a disappointment, at least in some sense. And it it feels silly to say that a team that could still win 12 games in a Big Ten championship is could be, you know, it could be considered a disappointment. But that's where we are. And that's. That's where this program is when you have four and five stars at every single position, uh, except cornerback for some reason. Most of our cornerbacks are three stars. Not really sure why that is, but <laughs> um, just it you know, it is what it is, and that's the price of the price of winning. The price of being as good as Ohio State has been historically has been under Urban Meyer. the The pressure is high, and I I think that in terms of response and likelihood of the team falling off i don't think it's super high when you have a senior quarterback when you have experience on the offensive line it's you don't see it a ton i I think that ohio state will bounce back but it's it's rough it's it's really rough to be at a program like ohio state to be at a top level program and to not compete for a national title at the beginning of november that's not you know that's not what you want that's not what you want going into a season and I think that this team still has a chance to to go out there and to, you know, to, to finish this season right, to finish this season with some fun games and, for God's sakes, get J.K. Dobbins the ball because, like, he will absolutely be better than Ezekiel Elliott was when Ezekiel Elliott left by the time J.K. Dobbins is a junior. He just will be. He's He's more naturally talented. That's crazy, crazy, crazy to say, but he is. He's a better... His ceiling is higher than Ezekiel Elliott's. His ceiling is higher than almost every single running back I've ever seen play at Ohio State. He's outstanding. Give him the ball. That's that's what would make the season a success for me is that we get to see young guys out there playing. We get to see guys like Austin Mack getting playing time. We get to see J.K. Dobbins. We get to see all this young talent. Baron Browning. Yeah, Baron Browning. Um, Jeffrey Okuda. There's uh, you know Justin Hilliard on the defense side of the ball. There's five stars all over the field let them play there there there's no way that justin hilliard baron browning there's no way that those guys can take worse pursuit angles than we saw jerome baker take or malik harrison take or these linebackers take for you know quite a bit of this game quite a bit of the oklahoma game let those guys play because they're i mean maybe maybe it's a coaching issue developing you know poor habits like bad pursuit angles over pursuing playing playing too aggressive in coverage and getting those pass interference is called but you know it's 
it's hard to imagine that it could get worse than losing by 31 points to Iowa and <laughs> let them let them play that's what would make the season a success is if they they showcase exactly what the the excitement in February when it comes signing day or now the early signing day exactly what that excitement is all for because it's nothing unless they play those guys totally agree and I think you bring up a great point that um We've talked about this program as the second-best program in the country behind Alabama the last five or six years, but uh, they have only one Big Ten title under Urban Meyer, and they haven't won or even been back since that 2014 season. So when you're talking about what would be a success, I think that uh, you raise a good point that getting to Indianapolis and winning that game and winning the Big Ten title I think would still represent a huge success for this team and this program for the season, even if you can still view it as a bit of a disappointment as to how we viewed the team coming into the year. That's a good place to wrap up. We're about 50 minutes into this podcast. I hope we were able to hit everything. If not, be on the lookout for another podcast later this week as we put a bow on the Iowa game and look forward to Michigan State. You can expect that probably on Wednesday or Thursday. Make sure to keep your podcast feed open by going to soundcloud.com slash Land. Also, subscribe to the show, please. It's the best way to spread word about the show and get the show out there. Go on to Apple Podcasts, search the Hangout in the Holy Land, subscribe, leave a review, tell us what we can do better, and uh, if we need to talk about J.K. Dobbins even more on this podcast, because you can get, never get enough of J.K. Dobbins. Also, send me a tweet at Dubsco and follow us on Twitter at LandGrant33. Patrick, where can they reach you? They can reach me at Patrick underscore Mayhorn, spelled how it sounds. Um, I didn't tweet a ton about the game today because it made me sad to talk about the game. Um, but I will be tweeting about Khalil Tate being extremely good tonight. So if that's something you're into, <laughs> then, um, yeah, feel free to follow me. We can wallow in pain together. Let's do that. And when Ohio State wins next week, next week hopefully we can all be in joy and enjoy it all together. One last time, make sure to go to landgrantholyland.com for all the coverage of this game and everything leading up to next week's game of Michigan State. want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast. For Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning, and this has been The Hangout in the Holy Land. <laughs>